and welcome or welcome back to the Starting Over podcast. I am so, so very grateful that you are here, that you're listening to these episodes, that you're committed to your growth, to your development, to your healing. And this episode is not going to disappoint. It is deep. It is profound. It is honest. And it is so helpful. I've got to say, I even found myself scribbling notes and adding yet another post-it note to my already full laptop screen. So who is our guest? Our guest is Giovanni Dienstman, a self-disciplined coach who came onto the podcast a year ago to speak about this concept of mindful self-discipline. It was really, really popular. He's a brilliant speaker, super clear. And I thought, you know what? Let's get him back on to speak about the topic of wise self-confidence. Now, some of the themes that we speak about, what you can expect, what are the harmful effects of growing up with a narcissistic parent? That was Giovanni's case. What can that do to your self-esteem and your confidence? How you can develop wise confidence, how it can be so transformative in your life. What are the steps to take towards building that? How to rethink failure? When to choose consistency over intensity? Why boundaries are so important for confidence, both with yourself, with others? Why having a plan B may not actually be a good thing? And how we can trick our mind into success? Now, If you haven't done so already, I would be immensely grateful if you paused and clicked, left a rating or a review wherever you are listening to this right now, or otherwise share it with somebody who you think it could really help or who might be interested in the podcast. It really is a big key to the growth of the show. So I really, really appreciate it in advance. But with no further ado, here is my conversation with Giovanni. Now, confidence, we often assume it to be, and Giovanni, you can feel free to chip in here, but we often think of this as being something bold and brazen and loud, in essence. We often assume that the most confident person is the loudest person in the room, the one that doesn't hold back. But that's not the case, is it? And you're saying there's something in being wisely confident what is that? Right. right. So uh, one of the key concepts that I work with is the idea that every virtue casts a shadow and confidence is a virtue. But if you don't balance the virtue of confidence, you may fall into its shadows. And that's the reason why many people who are more, more conscious individuals or maybe more introverts, they cannot connect with the way that most authors and speakers and influencers are talking about confidence out there because it's too it's too loud and it feels feels pretentious. And so that's where the concept of wise confidence comes in, that there is one extreme, which is self-doubt, where you are uncertain of yourself, you are hesitating, maybe there's some imposter syndrome, and you can't move forward with full focus, with motivation, with certainty that it's going to work, that you can do this. And then there's the other extreme, which is overconfidence or arrogance. And in this extreme, you think, you know, you can do anything and it's going to be a piece of cake and things are going to always happen your way. And there's, there's a big problem with that. So these are the two extremes. And then we have wise confidence. Wise confidence is that balanced middle in which you are not doubting yourself, but you're not in ego either. You are just showing up as your best self. You're focused on showing up with what I call the five elements of wise confidence, that, which are determination, integrity, self-belief, courage, and optimism. And so that's all. No self-concept, just showing up with these five qualities. Mm. We'll come into that a little bit later. But what I do want to go to is which of those two poles have you found yourself leaning towards? <laughs> In my life, I have I have experienced them both. Um, no. Maybe more in my early years, it was the the self-doubt one, which is a painful place to be because you are living life, uh, as I call in the book, a very low voltage life. You don't have much energy about what's possible for you. And then, because that was painful, I went to the other opposite, right? Because that felt powerful. That felt great. I felt like, okay, it seems that I am valuable. It seems that I can do something if I think this way. 
And then I also realized that that way of thinking has um, its uh, problems. So I think it took years, maybe maybe decades, for me to really find that balance that I'm- The middle ground. I'm, right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, they often say that you teach what you need to learn. Mm. So maybe there is something in that. <laughs> Let's go to a little bit about your childhood because we do know that those early years are the ground upon which we build our whole self-identity and how we show up in the world. And you had a difficult start in life, in particular with your mother. Mm -hmm. Yes. Tell us a little bit about her. Yes. So... Now, uh, now I can, now I have the right words to to describe. Um, I'd say that my mother has a narcissistic behavior, a very toxic behavior, and growing up, you know, nothing that you would do would ever be enough for her. There was no sense of warmth. There was no sense of support. There was no sense of you kind of being worthy or valuable or appreciated for who you are. And that's the, um, the environment that I grew up in. The sense of self-confidence, the sense of self-esteem was not given. She was very unpleasable. She was controlling and emotionally manipulative. And it took me many years to understand what was happening because I was a child and a teenager. And you know, whenever there's someone like this in your family, there are other people who enable that behavior. And in the worlds of, they call them the, the flying monkeys. I think it's a reference to the Wizard of Oz the people that enable that behavior. And, and so you feel that that's normal and then maybe uh, it's just me and I should learn how to deal with this different and the problem is within me. But um, I remember growing up that there was always this um, sense of uh, pain in relation to um, the way she was towards me and towards my brother. And I remember this incident when I was eight years old that uh, I was just kind of going over that pain inside of me and um, and what that was creating in me as, as, as um, a sense of self. And for some reason that I, I can't say why, there was this voice inside of me that's saying, no, you are, you are not this. You are not what she thinks you are. Th this is, you are strong. You are valuable. Be on your own side, even if the whole world is going against you and bullying you and speaking condescending. doesn't matter. You be in your own side. So there was this sense inside of me, this voice. And of course, it didn't, as an eight-year-old, it was not articulate like this, but that was the emotional gist of that voice. And from that point onward, I, I, I ran with that hypothesis. I ran with that, with that voice, with that feeling that, you know what, even if my environment is telling me that uh, I'm not good, that I am not loved, that I'm not appreciated. What matters most is what I feel inside myself. And in a way that was the birth of the book, the birth of this idea of having a clear vision of who you are and who you want to be and affirming that into the world rather than expecting the world to validate you living mm, inside it's powerful. out. Mm. Yeah. And I think I know actually right before speaking with you, something that was on my mind was, goodness, I care so much more about how my life feels than how it looks. Mm -hmm. And I think that also can speak to a little bit about a wise confidence because so many of us are caught up in seeking external validation, often to fill an internal void when actually if we prioritize how we feel on the inside how we are showing up for ourselves. That's where our true power is and where our happiest life is as well. Absolutely. Do you think in your case, though, you say this eight-year-old you who so did not want to believe what the, the image perhaps of your mother or what she had of you. I don't know if that's true, actually, because I think sometimes with narcissistic people, they don't often realize the effect that they, they have on others or right. the, the love is distorted. Love, the empathy isn't there in a way so they don't have the capacity, in fact, to love you in, in the way that 
you at in fact needed at that time. But do you think a consequence was to close yourself off too much and to go too much the other side in retaliation, going back to what we said before with the other poll? So that's an interesting question, and I've never spoken about this in a podcast, so I'm, it's, um, it's an interesting place to explore. Quick pause. If you're a regular listener to the show and you have found value in these episodes, I would be immensely grateful if you pledged your support. Reality is podcasting is not a free venture. There are many behind the scenes costs, but with your support, you'll be able to help me fuel the growth of this podcast and keep bringing you bigger and better guests each and every week. And of course, the signature honesty and real talk, which I'm known for. So if you'd like to say thanks and support the show for less than a cup of coffee per week, you can click the link called Patreon in the show notes. Thanks so much in advance, guys. Back to the episode. You know, at that time, I was eight years old and I was just learning how to kind of solve my own suffering. And that idea that came in that I can rely on my own uh, self-image rather than on the self-image that comes from other people. You know, that was the first um, savior. Like that was the first thing that really made a difference. Then a few years after when I started practicing meditation and being interested in Buddhism, etc., I definitely uh, used those tools as well to help me be in a place where there was no emotional suffering. So for sure. Stay in control. Right. In a way that, the, you know what, it's, um, it helped me be more detached. It, ha- it helped me be more unaffected. It helped me maybe be less emotional, right? I think by nature, I'm already a not so emotional person, but um, learning meditation and Buddhism and all, all that philosophy at an early age, I think that that part of me that needed some tools to navigate that situation made use of that. Mm. Thank you for the honesty. (laughs) Consequence, though, is not opening up to love. And I think a lot of people in this situation often realize that, that yes, it can be so we, we want to protect ourselves. On the two poles, we want to, we want to close ourselves away from the world because we don't want to feel pain. And then on the other side, conversely, we have those who they feel the pain so deeply that they sink down with it. And neither of those things are desirable. It's finding Mm. the middle ground, the balanced way, the wiser way, as you're describing, which is often when you are open enough to to have true authentic relationships and deep-rooted, grounded confidence in yourself. Right, absolutely. And um, Mm. for example, one one of the skills that I developed growing up was to not be affected by external criticism. Right, because the criticism was there every day, and much of it was uh, unfair and just manipulative. Not, not really. It's not a criticism that has your best interest at heart. Right, it's not that I'm, I'm pointing points of growth for you. It's that's not the feeling. And so, um, as with everything, every virtue casts a shadow. So the ability to not be moved by other people's opinions of you—that is a virtue. And I cannot tell you how many people come to me and they want a bit of that. Right, so they are yes. more free to be authentic. On the other side, if this is the only thing that you know how to do, then it's like you, instead of having a toolbox, you just have one tool. You just have a hammer, and you're treating everything as a nail. And if all you have is a hammer, you can't, you can't fix a watch. There are many things that you can't do with a hammer. It's not the best tool for for those jobs. So that's the thing. Like you, 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 you developed a way of. Um, growing life of managing uh, challenges and that works and then usually that consolidates in our personality and that becomes the way we are then we realize after some years if we are on the path of self-awareness in the path of personal growth if we do self-reflection and meditation we realize like oh i'm seeing now the the limits of this approach that at times being closed off to external criticism is not the right thing to do that you know the balanced way is that i'm so secure within myself that I can consider, I can receive and consider criticism, that I can be vulnerable without, without it feeling that, without it feeling like I'm going to crumble. Yes. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. So coming into a little bit about your 
your work in confidence here. What would you say for the people who are really lacking, who do feel like they regularly crumble, who do seriously feel the pain of when others criticize or when something doesn't go your way or when you have a setback or a failure and and that threatens your whole self-identity? What do you say or how would you apply your work in those circumstances? Mm-hmm. So the key idea is that there are two ways we can live, two ways we can navigate life. We can live inside out or we can live outside in. When we are living outside in, our identity is a question mark. We are looking outside for validation to see who we are, to see what we have the right to feel, what we have the right to try, what we can do. And that feels disempowering. It's like the environment is more powerful than us. And the opposite is when we're living inside out we develop a really clear vision and and knowledge of this is who I am. I have these strengths. I have these qualities. And this is who I am becoming. And I am not waiting for validation to tell me that it's okay for me to believe this, to tell me that it's okay for me to feel like this. I am affirming myself onto the world. My identity is an exclamation mark, not a question mark. And then other people's opinions of me would not impact me as strongly. Then if I try something and it doesn't work out, that doesn't mean that it won't work out. That doesn't mean that it doesn't work out because I'm not good at this. It just means that it didn't work out this time. Maybe I need to try again and persevere. Maybe I just need to try something different. But it doesn't mean anything else other than that. Yeah. It makes me think of a little post-it note I had for myself. I've always been somebody who gets caught up in the fear of failure and has the perfectionistic tendencies that persist. And I had this cliche note of fail, first attempt in learning, like drilled into my mind. It's okay. (laughs) Let it go. It's going to be fine. Get up and keep on going. Because I yes. so need it because I, I have be, I have been there and I regularly am there and it's like, okay, no, keep moving forward and pay attention to the story you're telling yourself. I think mm-hmm. that's really the important point. It's like, what is the narrative actually that you're saying in those moments where something isn't going right or where right. you perceive it's not going right? Maybe it actually is. Maybe it's a huge gift actually. It's just your perception at the time is like, okay, that's not what I wanted and therefore that means what? Mm. That's a clue often to the lack of self-confidence, I suppose. Well, you touched a good point here, important point that the way we navigate failure is very important. And failure may actually be like a real failure or something that is not failure. Maybe it's just meeting adversity. But the way we navigate failure and adversity, the stories that we're telling ourselves as we're navigating that, that can make or break our confidence. I worked with a man many years ago, Uh, I was his coach, and he was an extremely successful trader. He was making a ton of money until one day, you know, he made some bad decisions and he couldn't recover for a while and he internalized a fear of failure, a lack of confidence um, narrative. And so from that point onward, whenever he was placing a trade or or trying something new, there was always that that sense that maybe I I haven't got it anymore. Maybe it's not going to work anymore. Maybe I was lucky. That's why I was successful. And so the, the stories you're telling yourself the moment you're navigating failure can determine if, is this something that you know I, I'm learning from this and I'm becoming better? And, or is this something that determines who I am? I have failed at this, therefore I must be a failure at this thing. Therefore, I am not good at this. I need to try something else. And that is a choice. The, the interesting thing about narratives is that we are often not aware that they are choices. Uh, we have come to this world without any identity, without any narrative. But as we're growing up, we were conditioned to see things in a certain way. We were conditioned to believe certain things. And that's what I call our conditioned identity. It's the box that we are in and everyone is inside a box. The problem is for most of us, that box is limiting. The box has limiting beliefs and it's preventing you from being your best self. And the work of wise confidence is being aware of the box that you're in, knowing that that's not you, that you weren't born this way, that that's a conditioning. It's something that you have learned and therefore you can unlearn it. And then to dare dismantle that box and to create a new framework, a new identity for yourself. 
And then day in and day out, you have a choice to operate from the old identity with all its challenges or from the new identity. And every time you choose to operate from the new identity, it becomes easier to operate from the new identity. In the beginning, it feels very awkward and unnatural, of course, because that's not who you are yet. But over time, it becomes more and more natural until there's a moment where it flips. And that's how you feel yourself to be. Have you seen anyone actually experience that firsthand? Sure. So I'm just going to give one quick example. Um, a friend of mine, he was smoking for a very long time, many years, I think it was like more than 10 or 12 years. And he wanted to stop smoking. And he started telling himself, I am not a smoker with full conviction. There's, I'm not a smoker. And if I'm not a smoker, I don't smoke. Then I don't need willpower to resist the temptation. I, I'm not a smoker. But he was still smoking because, of course, there's a, a huge momentum of that habit for that many years. And he was still not, he was ignoring the feedback of the present moment and just focusing on his vision, focusing on what he wanted to create for himself. And within 16 days, he stopped smoking completely. He integrated that identity. And yes, I'm not a smoker. And then he didn't smoke anymore. That is actually a big part of habit change, isn't it? It's really working from the identity at the center and moving outwards. Mm. And I think it, it, what's so difficult about that is, as you said, it's being in that place where it feels incredibly unnatural and awkward and like a lie, quite mm -hmm. honestly. Yes. Like if you suddenly turn around and say to somebody who's really carried this narrative of lacking confidence in specific areas for their whole life, and you suddenly say, no, actually, I am this or I am that. I'm the most confident person. I'm going to achieve everything in my dreams. It'd be like, oh, my gosh, sure. Yes. Because yes. I'm sure that's the feedback you also have on the other side with your mind, right? Which <laughs> it yes. parrots back at you. Who do you think you are? Or this is rubbish. This is just someone, one of those lame affirmations. That's right. not going to work. New, new age BS. <laughs> well, right. um, it's, it's interesting. Because there is some truth in that, but there's also a misunderstanding about, about the process. And I get this, this, this question all the time. You know, an affirmation is not a description of reality. It's about creating something. I don't need to affirm that I'm a man. Uh, I am a man. I don't need to affirm that. You know, it's the reality. We, we don't use an affirmation for something that is already real. We use an affirmation for something that is not yet real and that we want to make it real. And that's the thing, you, you are reprogramming your mind to work around that new concept. How would it feel if um, I believe that I can do whatever I set my mind to? Because you may tell yourself, okay, this is a great affirmation. I'm gonna start saying it 20 times every morning. I can do whatever I set my mind to. And, and then you're, you're the, the voice of self-doubt inside of you saying, no, I have like uh, so many, um, reasons to believe the opposite. I have so many proof that many times in the past you, you set your mind to something and you didn't do it. So how come you're saying this? So this is the condition identity. Yes, you can argue for your limitations and they are yours. Or you can argue for your possibilities. And you know that when you're saying, I am full of confidence and courage, let's say that that's your affirmation. You may not yet feel full of confidence and courage but you are using that sentence to shift your awareness, to shift your attention to what you are creating. And then little by little, something inside of you in your subconscious mind starts to conform with that, um, with that vision of having confidence and courage. So that's, that's the shift in using affirmations. Uh, affirmations is there to help you remember your aspirational identity, helping you remember who you want to be, and you are affirming as if it's already real now, and it's not real now yet, but that is what you're focusing on what you're trying to create, not on what is coming from your past. So powerful. And I love that you just said that point about you can argue for your limitations or you can argue for your possibilities. Mm. Which voice yes. is stronger? Mm. There's the quote from Van Gogh, that um, if a voice inside of you says you cannot paint, then by all means paint, and that voice will be silenced. Mm. Yeah. 
I think this really is the key to success in all areas. I really do. How much we can master our mind in this balanced way. Not in the, not going back to what we said at the beginning, not in the, not in the force, not in the crumbling, but finding, finding that middle ground and painting, as you say, the vision of who we want to be and actually taking steps in action, in reality towards becoming that. Right. Right. And the key, the key to understand is that our, our consciousness doesn't have a, a, a fixed shape. We are fixed around our identity, but our identity is not um, a necessity. It's not that this is who you should be. As I said, we, we were born without an identity that was constructed. And if it was constructed in a way that is not helping us, we can deconstruct that and reconstruct in a different way. You know, uh, uh, a friend of mine is uh, really a social butterfly. He has a lot of social skills and a lot of charisma. And wherever he goes and talks to people, he is the life of the party. And, you know, he can talk to anyone and people love him. And that is the opposite of my personality. I am, I am an introvert. I don't like small talk. And so um, I, I don't go much into social gatherings. And then once I try to apply this concept of um, living inside out, uh, shifting my identity, uh, in the moment and see what happens. So I was going to a social gathering and the name of his friend, this friend is Ebenezer. And then uh, I st stopped for a couple of minutes before and I felt like I will imagine that I am Ebenezer. Like, I'm not Giovanni now, I am Ebenezer. What would Ebenezer do? And mm. so I stepped into that gathering as Ebenezer and I watched myself saying things and doing things that Giovanni would never do. <laughs> Because I was operating um, from a different frame. I was operating from a different frame uh, of mind. And the work of living inside out is this. Maybe your current identity, your conditioning, makes it impossible or very hard for you to be confident or even for you to love yourself, maybe. And one way is to work on your conditioning, right? Through therapy, through shifting your self-talk and through all of that. And that's good. That's helpful. And sometimes that works. And another way is saying, like, you know what? Let's... Let's work from a different point of view. Let me be who I want to be, who I would love to be. And your consciousness has the capacity to do that. The very fact that you are attracted to the, the feeling of confidence shows that confidence exists within you as a seed, that it's, it's resonating to that possibility. And if you water that seed every day, then eventually it's going to become you, a mighty tree. Mm. Well, let's go down to that with the watering the seed because I think something that you probably really have in your favor is being more self-disciplined because I hear time and again the importance of consistency over intensity. Whenever we want to make changes, we often assume it needs to be a huge overhaul and actually, it's not. It, it's taking small, consistent, daily actions, as hard as that is. And I think there's a there's an advantage here for those that have more of a self-disciplined uh, approach to life. I'll say, okay, there's some challenges too. But I think in that respect, it really helps. Mm. Do you agree with that? It's a, it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. So yes, we need to stay consistent and you know sometimes you can go on a retreat and have an, a powerful experience because you you have that isolated period of time where you're just doing that thing and thinking that way and doing those exercises or maybe you have a ayahuasca awakening or or whatever and then there's a shift inside of you and i've seen this happening with people but then when they go back to their old environment they go back to their old selves and they don't have the tools to integrate that change that new insight that aha moment into a new way of being and these are two different tools, the tool to have the aha moment and the tool to integrate the aha moment. These are two different things. So when you're talking about self-discipline, that's the tool to integrate the aha moment. Am I coming back to that, to that insight, to that vision, to that person I want to be every day? Am I checking in with my new self throughout the day before I pick up the phone, before I talk with someone, before I decide to send that scary email? Am I taking a moment to just check in with myself and and do that as the new self versus the emotional patterns of the old self. Tell me if you agree with this, 
But I have heard that confidence is really linked to keeping small promises to ourselves and that if we do not do what we say we are going to do, that is a surefire way to decrease our confidence. Yes, I absolutely agree. And that is the link between confidence and discipline. The word confidence means to trust, right? If you have a friend that um, whatever she tells you, she does. I'm going to meet you at that time, that day, she, she is there. You know, I'm going to be, you know, whatever she promises, she fulfills. You're going to, to trust that person. You can confide. If you tell her a secret, she will keep it as a secret. You can trust. So it is much easier for us to trust ourselves when we see that we keep our promises to ourselves. Where if we say that I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. That if we say I'm going to wake up in the morning without snoozing, then you wake up in the morning without snoozing. Because what, what that also means is that you are, you are getting small successes along the way. Each time that you do a difficult habit, that you take action on your goals even though you didn't want to, um, that is a, you're exerting your, your willpower in a way. You are making an effort in getting a result. And then that builds that sense of efficacy that, oh, I actually can do things. I can do things that I didn't know I could. So absolutely. So I want to go into these five pillars that you identify about wise confidence. So at the start, you mentioned them, but I'll say it again, the self-belief, courage, optimism, integrity, and determination. And in regards to determination in particular, if we can start there, there was something that you had in your book about an energy and focus commitment scale. So you had this scale with an arrow left to right across the page and you'd categorized separate sections. I would like to, I'd love to, I want to, I must, and I will. With each of those being, this is a preference, this is a wish, this is a desire, this is a commitment and then resolution. I just want to say, I loved that. Like I read that. And I, I got called out. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was like, I identified that I absolutely needed to commit to something. And I'd been in this wishy-washy zone of, yeah, I would like to do this. Or I would love this to be a possibility in my future without committing at all. So when you said that, I thought, wow, this is really powerful, actually, to get much more acquainted or aware of the language that we use to ourself, our own inner narrative. But I realized I'd been staying in that wishy-washy imaginary zone, which didn't actually bring anything, didn't concrete, yeah, bring this into the concrete reality. And mm -hmm. that I suspect is not great for one's confidence, Giovanni. Right, right. Yes, that's it, exactly. Determination is, is a powerful, um, virtue, it's a powerful force and it's related both to self-discipline and self-confidence. Determination is making a decision that you then don't review, that it's now it's made. I, I want to become an entrepreneur. I will be a successful entrepreneur. I am determined to become a successful entrepreneur. Now, if this is, I would like to become a successful entrepreneur, then um, you may start a business and uh, after a month, things are not going the way you expect, and then you stop. But if you are determined to become a successful entrepreneur, and things are not going your way, one thing is certain, you're still determined. This can mean anything but that I won't make it, because I am determined to make it. I'm not reviewing that decision. I'm not questioning that decision. And this is very connected with self-confidence, because it's the same thing. You have a certain determination around who you are, this is who I am, like that moment that I had when I eight years old. I am valuable, I am strong, I'm going to be on my side. I have never reviewed that commitment in the past 31 years. It's a determination. And when something is this strong, then you are not going to budge. And if you're not going to, to budge, if you, then you feel strong, you feel like you are, you are your own center of gravity. You're not going to gravitate towards other things. Other things are going to gravitate around you. So I have this sentence in uh, when I'm teaching self-discipline that either your aspirations are bending your reality or your reality is bending your aspirations. 
And when you are in that level of, I would like to lose some weight, to quit my job, to learn the piano, then you are, your level of commitment is very small. And let's say if we can add the number, let's say that that level of commitment is a five. Now, if your commitment uh, level is a five, you'll be able to overcome any obstacle that is a one, two, three, or four. With a five, maybe. Anything above that, you won't be able to overcome and then you will quit. Now, if you have full commitment, then maybe that the, the energy behind that commitment is, is a 30 or a 50. Now, you're gonna have no problem overcoming an obstacle of power 10. Well, if your commitment is five, you, you can't do it however, however hard you try. So determination is this energy where we are focusing our mind, we're focusing our intention and our emotion on the thing that we want and we, we hold on to it. And that becomes our pillar and we don't move. And other things will move, but we will not move. When we have that type of resolution, then that becomes the reality. It has to because we're not going to give up. Oofed. Repeat that line one more time that you said about reality. So either our aspirations are bending our reality or reality is bending our aspirations. That is such a great quote. I'm going to put that on the back of my <laughs> laptop or something. <laughs> that is a good one. No, but what I will say, so for anyone who struggles to make decisions in particular, I suppose that what you were just saying there could be reflective of that. Because if your reality is shifting your aspirations, that means you're going to be very perceptive to what other people are saying when somebody expresses judgment on what you want to do or questions your interpretation of something. It's what you're saying. You could feel like you're a bit in the breeze. You're not really firmly rooted and sure of yourself. That's right. That's right. And yeah. I think I know or maybe where you were going with that thought that, that escaped. You know, yeah. like I notice even when I'm when I'm talking with my daughter, she's four years old and she is very willful and she's very rebel. And uh, if I speak with something with full conviction that this is it and there is no exception, she will eventually follow. But if there is you know, if there is a, a link so of a thought that oh, you know, that this make, is negotiable, right? That this then, is then that's, feel that's it. how it works with kids. Right. Oh yes, yes. Oh yes. And the same the thing in your, head. right, the same thing in your relationships, the same thing in an actual negotiation in your workplace, the same thing when you post a video on YouTube, the same thing when you show up. I, it, either there is that fire inside of you, that, that, that certainty that you can own your truth, that this is who I am. And that's it. I'm not asking validation. I'm not expecting validation. I had a big learning of that with my ex-partner, narcissistic ex-partner, and I had to completely transform my language in all communication with him. And what was interesting is it's very much reflective of what you're saying right there. So I think prior me would have expressed myself in a way that I'm seeking approval, seeking permission, um, being soft in my language to keep the peace or to avoid conflict. And it did not work. It did not work. And actually setting limits, expressing my needs and defining clearly my boundaries in a friendly way, firm, but pleasant, doesn't need to be hostile, it completely transformed the relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's marvelous because you can see how this can apply to so many facets of your life. You know, we assume well, we've been talking about this in our personal context of our own inner narrative, but actually this is going to be so impactful to the people around you and how people treat you as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, there's this, um, there's this concept from the book, The Art of War, which is the, the oldest manual of, uh, of war in the world, where like if you are surrounding the enemy, keep an outlet free to give them the illusion that they can escape. Because if they know they cannot escape, they will fight with the might of despair. If there is no option, if there is no plan B, you will touch a much deeper place inside yourself. You will 
have so much more energy because you're fully determined that there is no other option. When there is a plan B, part of you is saying, it's okay. If it doesn't work out, this other thing, it's okay. And so you are, some energy is leaking out in that plan B. That is such an interesting analogy. So you're saying here for us to build better confidence, to overcome self-doubt or build greater self-esteem, for example, one of these things should be to go all in on a decision and completely set aside what we're often told about the, why is it the wisdom of having a plan B, a backup <laughs> plan? Right. There's certain things that you may need a plan B, certain things in your life, but for the things that are truly important, for the things that you really want to happen, then there is no plan B, right? When, when a mother sees her child under the car in an accident, there is no plan B, there is no other option. She has to save her child. And there are many cases reported where you see they have superhuman strength, they lift the car and they save the child. And they're never gonna be able to do that again. Because in that moment, there's only one possibility in their mind. And so all the energy goes there. And there's no self-doubt. When your mind is full of determination, there's no space left for self-doubt. Mm. Let's come to the other pillars. Mm -hmm. Self-belief. Right. So self-belief, the opposite of self-belief is self-doubt. It is that you are, you are defeating yourself before you even try. You are saying all the reasons why this is not going to work. Self-belief, it's the opposite. It's a belief, meaning that you don't need proof. If you know you're going to work, you don't need even self, if it's going to work, you don't need self-confidence. You just know. So it is a belief. And that belief could be wrong, but life is better if you believe the right things. It's that unshakable conviction that I can overcome whatever obstacle comes my way. That in the beginning, maybe I have no clue. In the beginning, maybe it seems that this is above me. But if I am energized by that conviction that I am capable of overcoming whatever obstacle comes my way, then there's only one, there's no plan B. There's only one option that I have to overcome this obstacle. And then you become really resourceful. Then if there's a knowledge you don't have, you go and acquire. If there's a help that you need, you go and get a mentor. Um, if there's a skill that you don't have, you go and develop that skill. Because deep down there is that belief that I can do whatever I set my mind to. And that belief is a choice. That's the thing that most people don't realize is like, yes, there are these useful exercises of self-confidence. One of them I have included in the book where you go and list all the times in your past where you faced a challenge and you overcame, where you went through a difficult situation successfully. And that builds that, that knowledge base that like, ah, I can do difficult things. So why should I doubt myself in this moment? And that's helpful. But at the same time, you don't need that to believe in yourself. It's a choice. I choose to believe in myself. Let the world prove me wrong if that's the case, but I'm going to be in my own side, on my own side. What about courage? So this for you is in a, another important piece of the puzzle. Yes. Is that because we need it to overcome our obstacles? Well, courage is very tightly connected to confidence because when, when you are confident, you tend to be more courageous. You take meaningful risks in your life. And when you are more courageous, you are telling yourself that, hey, I'm being courageous. I'm facing this risk because I know that I can stomach the failures. I know that I'm going to be okay if there is some pain, if there is some challenge. So being confident increases your courage, but taking acts of courage taking courageous steps forward in whatever area of your life, that is also sending a message to your nervous system that like, oh, it seems that I'm strong then. If I'm moving forward in this scary direction, it seems that I'm strong. It's mm -hmm. the willingness to, to face fear, to let the fear be there when you are doing something. Fear can be the background noise of your success. Mm -hmm. And on that note, just because I know that there are a lot of people who perhaps do struggle to overcome the fear more and even as a nervous system response, that can be very paralyzing and it can shut people down. So actually in that respect, it's yes, it's finding the courage to 
be in motion to move forward, but not necessarily take a leap that is so large that you will be stuck in paralysis, that you won't be able to move forward. And it's, I think it's, it's really important because for some people, it might be that it's more comfortable to stay in the dream mode. So the, the visualization of what you want to happen to plan and research and all of those things that make you believe that you're actually taking action when you're not, but it's actually a step too far away. And actually in order to move forward and to be able to tap into the very courage that you're mentioning, it's to lower the threshold for success, to get the ball, mo to get the ball moving essentially. And then right. you can build on your capacity from there. Yes. Basically, we need to face our fears gradually, otherwise we can be re-traumatized. Yeah. When we're facing our fears gradually, when we're taking steps, taking baby steps, as, as you say, um, then we are proving to ourselves that like, oh, I can do this. This is, I don't need to be afraid of this anymore. And then, so the, the fear threshold has already changed. And little by little, it becomes easier. But if you try all at once, if you take a, a big leap, as I said, you may find yourself in a situation that it's really traumatizing and then you really don't want to do it. And that just reinforces that, that belief that like, no, I can't, I, I, I can't handle certain things. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as a man, actually, whether you have had any more difficulty in admitting fears, because I think there is a, th there is a gender difference in society here that it's often more acceptable for women to feel fear than it is for men. Good question. I have always, uh, not always, but uh, for a very long time, I have thought of myself as fearless. And so that's the reality that I see and that I live. But I'm also aware that from time to time, something arises that I don't want to, that I feel hesitation in taking certain step. And then I realize like, oh, this, this is kind of fear, isn't it? Like you're afraid of losing your financial security or you're afraid of, you know, doing something that can be undone. Um, but I think that the pattern that you're saying is real. Usually men are brought up to be, you know, brave and not to have any feelings and not to cry and to just, you know, um, yeah, be, be brave, be strong. So I think that um, developing courage, it's important for both, but it might be a bigger challenge for many women because of the social conditioning. Mm -hmm. And yet there's a lot of bravery or courage, to use your term, in being vulnerable and admitting that. Mm. Yes. So optimism. Positivity. Are they the same thing? I, I don't like the term positivity much um, because it's a little bit, there's a bit of a fluff around it. Um, for me, optimism is anticipating being successful, anticipating that um, if I try this, it will work out. It can work out that, uh, you know, I can become good at this skill that I can do this career change and it's, it can be a much better life. For me, that is optimism, believing that the best is going to happen. Now, it has to be smart. It's not about, you know, optimism can easily have its shadows where you, you believe that, no, that's the only thing that can happen. And uh, you are very naive and you're not cautious. And then, you know, life pulls the rug from under your feet. And then it's painful. And then you cannot be an optimist anymore. So for me, optimism powers self-confidence because it's um, you're much more likely to take meaningful action in your life when you anticipate being successful, when you're betting on success rather than rehearsing failure in your mind and thinking that you know, probably it's not going to work out and then it's going to be painful. It's not a blind expectation that things are going to always go my way, but it's, um, it's focusing on what's possible rather than what you're afraid of. Mm. And yet, devil's advocate here, but I do think that for people who do have less self-confidence, there can be a real, a very real fear of success too. Have you seen that come up? 
a fear of what does it mean? Yes, I think I, I think on some level I want success, but then on another level I don't because I'm afraid of of perhaps the responsibility that that will entail, the pressure that that could accompany that, all these other moving elements that because you can't yet see the person that you become on the road to achieving that success, once again, it could feel like a big leap. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely seen the fear of success being something that holds people back, but I, I haven't necessarily associated that with either having or lacking self-confidence. I almost see like as a separate problem. Um, and it could be that, you know, it could be that you have some limiting beliefs about, about money and about success. It could mean that that would break some unconscious loyalty patterns that you had with a grandfather who really struggled and never made it in business and you are loyal to his pain. Um, it could mean that um, it's very difficult for you to let go of, an ide- of your current identity. And if you become successful in this path, well, you're going to become a different person. You're going to become your new identity. And it's normal to face some fear because letting go of your identity, even if it's painful, it's, it can feel scary. It's like you are taking a dive into the unknown. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And we do preference what is familiar. And I think that's partly why change right. is so hard. And what you're saying all along about the shift in the identity, the up-leveling your habits, the personal transformation, it's it's leaving an old self behind. Right. I mean, you probably yeah. know people in your life that um, are holding on to an identity, even though that's painful for them and they don't want to see it or they see it, but they don't want to change. Yeah. Oh, for right. sure. I see it a lot with certain family members. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And lastly, integrity. What on earth has integrity got to do with confidence, Giovanni? <laughs> So most people, when they think about integrity, it's, uh, okay, being honest, uh, doing what I say I do and being true to my values. And that's, that's a good thing, but that's not what I mean by integrity. Integrity comes from the word integer, which means one. So having integrity means that you are one. It's the opposite of being two. It's the opposite of being divided. When you move forward, the whole of you moves forward. Not you moving forward, part of you saying, you shouldn't do this, or this is not going to work, this is not for you, this is not you. You know, that is lack of integrity. When you are moving forward and the whole of you is moving forward, then you're being whole, then you're being undivided. And that builds confidence. That the opposite of confidence, which is self-doubt, is exactly the opposite of integrity, which is you are divided. Part of you wants to do something, another part of you is saying that you shouldn't, or that you can't, or that's not going to happen. It's like you're trying to move forward with a handbrake on. So well, it's exhausting. integrity is having your energy, right? <laughs> you're not going to go very far. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, integrity in a way is the, the, the hardest. No, achieving integrity is the one that may require you to have the uh, deeper inner work because integrity involves resolving inner contradictions. resolving your fears that there are some parts of you that will protest like hey maybe we can't maybe we shouldn't maybe we won't and um, resolving that and integrating that it's not just telling yourself that no 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 we're all going to move forward it doesn't work like that it's not uh, a law that you pass inside yourself it's um, so that may require some therapy or at the very least a lot of inner work self-reflection and you know bringing yourself together Mm. And to really drill this down to a practical, because I can see that you mentioned sort of parts work there as such, or understanding that there's, there are different parts of ourselves that have different mm, ob- objectives, perhaps. Agendas. You know, yeah. Agen- yeah, de- yeah, exactly. Agendas. And I think something I had to do is almost imagine that I'm holding the hand of the little girl that's terrified to move forward and thinks it's all going to be a total disaster and oh my god and I, I have to I have to like close my eyes put my hand on my heart and as nuts as I sound in those moments I think my son Williams will be like mom what are you doing 
But I think it's like, actually, you find, you've got to find something that works for you, actually, mm. on a very practical level, like not being overly theoretical about this, but actually, what is a way that you can tangibly introduce this into your life to make change, mm -hmm. to actually legitimately change and not just for the short term? Right, right. So I hold, the, I hold my, my little girl's hand. <laughs> so how do you do that? Do you uh, kind of imagine it? Do you close your eyes and imagine that happening? Yeah, I I have. And you know something else that, has, that actually helped? And this came out of a, a session with a hypnotherapist, actually, was she got me to stand in in separate parts of the room. So on one, she said, go, go stand in this circle over here. And I really want you to embody the part of you that is really scared to make this change right now. And And, and what, okay, okay, so stand in this circle. What does she feel like? What is she, what, what's going on for her right now? And she said, okay, even adopt the posture. So I felt like I wanted to shrink. I felt like I wanted to withdraw, not take action, remove myself from it. And she said, okay, now you're going to step out of that identity and you're going to move across the room. And as you do, I want you to now adopt the person that you want to be, the adult, the responsible adult who's capable, competent, able to move forward, move across the room, stand in this other circle, and now turn back. So adopt the posture of that person. What is she like? And now turn around and look back at that other part of you, that very, very real part of you. She is with you, but what do you need to say to her? Or what can you do for her? And it was so deeply moving. I think I'll always remember that as an experience because it was a way of getting getting acquainted with the, the the different parts of yourselves, as we said, that have that different agenda. But it enabled me to make peace with that part of myself and possibly to be more compassionate as well. Because rather than seeing that as a part of myself that I needed to exile, a part of myself that I needed to push aside to overcome, to lock her in the cupboard and make sure I chuck that key in the bottom of the lake. Like it was like, no, actually I need to look at her and I say, do you know what? It makes sense. You make sense. I understand that this is scary for you right now or that you don't think that this is possible, but I'm telling you that it's going to work out. Come here, come have a hug. <laughs> right. Something like that, you know, but actually I, it did work and I've started, maybe I should be more consistent but um, tr tried to incorporate that as a, as a bit of a practice from time to time when I feel that coming up and feeling the inertia, feeling the pull to inaction, the, f the fear about advancing and taking steps forward. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so that, that was a beautiful moment of integration of that part. That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, integration sums it up well. So before we finish up, What are some practical takeaways here? Anything that you can suggest for people who are really looking to develop this wise self-confidence, to overcome their self-doubt, to improve their self-esteem? What are some small, tangible steps that we can take, that we can build into our daily lives to achieve that outcome? And the thing is that there are, there are many tools and the most powerful tool will be different from person to person. But, um, you know, the gist of this work is to first have clarity about who you want to be, about your aspirational identity, designing your aspirational identity. And in the book, I talk about different ways of doing this, but the simplest one would be choose three words that represent who you want to be. And maybe it is confident, creative, and courageous, or, you know, disciplined, determined, and loving. Three words that are the essence of who you want to become. And then these three words, they are the summary of the path of personal development for you. You can forget about everything else and just focus on developing these three words. That is the person you want to become. And then every day, as you start your day, I call this the daily alignment practice. That you start your day by aligning yourself in your awareness with the person you want to become. Imagine that you are already that person. And if I'm already the person who is loving, let's say, and I'm not typically loving, then what does it mean to show up as that new self in my day to day? Mm. And then you imagine one, one situation of you showing up like that, you visualize it in your mind. And if you do this every day, this little exercise, once you have chosen your aspiration identity or three power words, as I call them, 
And if every day you just uh, think again, your awareness, your attention with that vision for yourself, and imagine one or two ways that you're going to express that into the world today, then little by little, you are taking some solid steps towards becoming the person you want to be. Giovanni, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Everyone listening, you can get a copy of Giovanni's book. It's coming out in March and it is called Wise Confidence, Overcome Self-Doubt and Build Lasting Self-Esteem. Giovanni, thank you once again. Thank you, Shannon.